Hey, what's up? Welcome back to the show. Before I get into the show, it's actually a really big show today. Um, I wanted to remind you that The Grit with Chaz Smith has been migrated over onto its own podcast feed now. So if you were looking for that show in the last week or two, you need to find it on its own podcast feed. You need to pull out your app and subscribe. Just search for The Grit. You might need to add Chaz's name to it, Chaz Smith or my name, and uh, you will be able to find it on either Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or pretty much whatever app you, you use. This week, we had a really special guest with Devin Howard. He added a real kind of calmness to the show, I would say, and a very logical and rational perspective to the show as well. So just to give you a little taste, this was his thoughts on the whole uh, hydrofoil debacle that's kind of taking place in lineups around the world right now. This issue is the introduction of these other things that don't feel related in any way. Um, the, the idea of a paddle, like kind of to some people it looks like you you have a cane you know it's like when you're i've seen people skateboard with a paddle that little wheel thing on the street and you're like wow that's crazy like (laughs) you know my original thing is i didn't like them i was part of the whole deal but i realized i did realize at the same time wait a minute i ride a longboard you know like let uh, how vocal can i really be about this because people used to call me a and all kinds of things in the 80s like get that thing out of here as a teenager like what are you doing on that board paddling out at wind and sea i'm like yeah but i don't have a leash on yeah like we don't give a (laughs) get out of here you know and it it was really difficult so i'm i'm uh reticent of like really going after sup people i i just believe I, i i believe that the the foil creates an issue because of the swath of, of, of the destruction. You know, there's the old swath of destruction argument. So if you want to hear more of that conversation, more about hydrofoils, more about the dangers of leashes, all sorts of stuff, uh, go get the grit on your podcast app. And then, of course, surfsplendorpodcast.com. And thanks to those who rated and reviewed that show in iTunes. That's really helping other people to find the show and helping uh, the audience to grow. So thanks for doing that and enjoy. All right, and into today's show with South African Gig Selliers, who you might know from the WSL commentary team. Last year, he was introduced. I believe it was last year. It might have been the year before. He was introduced at the Rio event. And um, But before I get into that conversation, and in light of Chaz's recent skin cancer diagnosis, I've decided that it's incumbent upon me to help provide a PSA for skin cancer prevention The sun is a carcinogen and we as surfers are all at risk of getting a cancer that is deadly but totally detectable and treatable. So there is no reason for anyone to die of skin cancer ever again. You can prevent it and even if you don't prevent contracting it, you can detect it and treat it. The key is regular screenings. So I interviewed a doctor to get the facts. He has a wife and a young kid at home, but he was super kind and stayed an hour past work with me just to conduct this interview and provide us with really the facts of what we need to be concerned about and what we don't need to be concerned about. So I'm going to cut that 45 minute interview into three minute segments and then publish it over the course of the next few episodes. Just because I know for me personally, in the past years when my parents have bugged me to go to the dermatologist and get screened, 
I always ignored their first four or five requests. And then by the sixth time, I'd get so annoyed that I would just go to the dermatologist just so that they would stop bugging me and I could tell them I went. So I'm going to use that same tactic here on you. Going to give you a bunch of these little mini interviews and each portion of the interview will have a different scare tactic and then also an important bullet point that you can remember because it's only one bullet point rather than 10 and it's also um, digestible enough for you to then be able to share it with your friends. So this is Dr. Andres Cruz Indigo. He's a Cornell med grad, Mayo Clinic trained, board certified dermatologist, and he specializes in early skin cancer detection at Scripps Clinic in Encinitas, California. He grew up surfing in Puerto Rico, and he left the Caribbean basically just to advance his career. But his love for surfing and helping fellow surfers landed him in North County, San Diego. So when he's not surfing, he's either at the hospital or he's spreading awareness about the importance of sun protection, skin cancer prevention, and early detection to keep surfers healthy and in the water. So here's what he recommends you and I look for. So skin cancer, it just depends really what type of skin cancer you're talking about. You okay. can, there are different types, mainly split into melanoma and non-melanoma. Melanoma is one of the deadliest, if not the deadliest, skin cancer because it can spread to lymph nodes, brain, um, and it's rather aggressive very quickly, and it can hit anyone of any age. And then on the other hand, there's non-melanoma skin cancers. There are different types, for example, the basal cell carcinoma that most surfers get, and that's very treatable, meaning if caught early, it can be either burnt, scraped, or you could get surgery or a cream for it. What's really important about it is that although not life-threatening, it can lead to disfigurement. And recently, there's squamous cell carcinoma that we often see on patients who are very sun damaged, who've been out in the sun, and those typically start with really rough patches and scaly areas, and those have the potential of spreading. So in this day and age, we tend to be more cautious with those. Okay. What should people look for prior to getting screening? What can people look for on their own body as indicators of these things? So great question. So in terms of screening, the patients and their families are at the front line. So finding anything that's changing, not behaving normally in what ways, changing size, shape or color, scabbing or crusting, bleeding or itching very simply again just to highlight this point anything that's not behaving or healing like your normal skin would for example pimple that won't go away in a month you need to think about is this a basal cell a scalp that keeps coming and recurrent is this a squamous cell or on the other hand for the melanoma type of skin cancers a new freckle or just a freckle you've always had or a mole changing size shape or color you have to go get seen ASAP. Changing is an important thing to look for. Absolutely. Anything that's not behaving or healing like your normal skin would, don't delay it. Early detection is the key to a good outcome. Okay. So early detection is the difference between life and death. Get screened at least once a year 
and then constantly check your body and maybe you know your partner's body even for anything that's changing and just not moles but patches of dryness pimples and also not just in areas that are exposed to the sun he talked about that in a segment um, that i'll publish publish later but he showed me some horrifying photos of people's nether regions that i wish that i hadn't seen so anyway that's today's psa and a huge thanks to dr andreas cruz indigo and i have a link to where you can find him at scripps clinic in encinitas on surfsplendorpodcast.com so today's show is with four-time kneeboard champion Giggs sellier and he actually just won the u.s title a couple of days after we recorded this episode and I can almost hear you scoffing at the idea of kneeboarding right now. But let's not forget the importance of George Greeno and Steve Liss. Kneeboarding has been hugely influential through many aspects of surfing at large. And Giggs is a legend in the sport. He grew up in Durban when Sean Thompson was putting South African surfing on the map. He owns retail shops there. And Jordy grew up under his surveillance He's well regarded for his big wave exploits. And as I mentioned earlier, Giggs has been working as a commentator for the WSL for years in a lot of the WQS events and then doing a lot of beach commentating for like the J Bay event. He was actually in the booth during the Mick Fanning shark incident. And he tells us that story today. And he's also gotten the call up for the webcast for the CT in recent years, which was the first time that I encountered him. So we chat about all of that, and he gives us insight into the beauty and the very real dangers that exist in South Africa. He talks about what Jordy's success means and what it's done for the region, what will be required for Jordy to win a world title. He was also on the beach when Tom Curran caught that famous first wave at J-Bay. So he tells us what it was like to witness that wave live. All in all, we cover a lot of ground in this conversation. We also recorded this prior to his fellow South African, Michael February, receiving the injury wildcard replacement for this 2018 tour season, and also before uh, Julian won Snapper, both things that we discussed prematurely in this conversation. So I hope that you enjoy this. And then it's also important for me to note that today's show was made possible by listener support with an assist by fanatic.com. So if you haven't yet created an account, you are among the very few. It's super easy and inexpensive. I've received great feedback about Fanatic. You can use our promo code podcast. You'll get your first month free and then they'll support this show. They are basically the Netflix of fins. They mail fins to your house with return stamped envelopes, All of the postage, regardless of how often you send your fins back and forth, is covered by your $10 a month subscription. You can use the fins as long as you want. Send them back as quick as you want. They'll send you your next set off your queue. The queue is easy to manage, and they have everything from Futures to FCS, Rainbow Finco. They have quads, singles, thrusters. It's really comprehensive. It's an instant quiver expander. And it's so much cheaper than buying fins. Fanatic.com, promo code podcast. You'll get that first month free and you'll support this show. You win, Fanatic wins, we win. Thank you. All right, without further ado, this is David Scales for Surf Splendor. Here's my conversation with Giggs Sellier. 
<laughs> Here we go. Welcome to California, dude. Dude, thank you. Yeah, we're live, just FYI. No wow. I'll give you a proper introduction and post, of course. Yeah, perfect. Um, first... Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> bit creepy in the back corner here, but anyway. <laughs> a little bit. It's a romantic table for two. Oh, cheers, man. Well, yeah, th- cheers Thanks for again. having yeah. me. Cheers, yeah, David. Gladly. Glad to finally connect with Dude, you. Dude, amazing. Yeah, thank you. You're we welcome. Live, we live in a global village, right? Truly. Yeah. It's smaller and smaller every day. Every day, man. It's, yeah. It's crazy. And yet there's such big spaces out there too, you know? It's true. A lot yeah. of untapped spaces. How was travel? from south africa oh well you know what we're like pretty much on the other side so which brings me to the whole flat earth theory it's not flat but that's another oh (laughs) is it even still a who's debating it right you know like there's still people at home that are going there's a flat earth i'm like anyway no it's uh it's like you got to haul it up to dubai and then uh you got to do the switch over so it is a long haul like 35 hours or whatever 35 total travel hours Yeah, yeah brutal yeah, it is a bit, but well, it's fun. Is it's it? It's all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you get to spend time in Dubai or? Nah, I don't know Dubai at all, man. Okay. How's that for a city that just popped out of nowhere? It really did. Huh? Totally. Wow. It'd be worth spending time there if you could schedule a layover. Well, so we had a massive brain drain in South Africa, like lots of uh, doctors, engineers, you know, sort of your all your white collar people really got sucked out of the country in the mid 90s. And Dubai has been a go-to for a lot of people that have, you know, kind of qualified, got degrees and stuff. So Dubai is a really amazing story. Got it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was unaware yeah. of that. Yeah. I mean, I'm aware of the country, but not aware of the brain drain, yeah. so to speak. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jeez, i got a hundred stories on South Africa for you. Dude, I know. And I'm dying to hear them because, honestly, um, it's a region that's so idyllic for surf tourism. You know, we just see all the iconic images of the perfect waves, basically. Yep. But at the same time... It's, um, we hear horror stories, you know, about apartheid and, I mean, everything from apartheid to just petty theft of tourists who are out at yep. night to big game poaching, all sorts of stuff. What You know, we got a saying at home, like, Africa's not for sissies. Okay. Which means it's like, it's a tough place to live, actually. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, like, South Africa's, exactly, you summarize it right there. There's just all these different aspects to life there, you know? There's that whole amazing picture postcard thing of the perfect right-hander at J Bay and then you know a couple of hours up the coast uh, on a flight you can get to Skeleton Bay and right. you know we're on the tip of the country there and we're just getting swell after swell I mean it's just it's it's a real honey place to live in some ways beautiful wine farms and stuff and then there's the ugly side of it you know yeah and and I guess everywhere is like that, you know. I mean, you must remember, I, I sit extremes. and look at postcards of Los Angeles, right? And I go, dude, the Hollywood sign and this, that, the other. And then, you know, then there's the real nitty gritty areas where there is crime and there's all the ugly parts of life. You know what? You're absolutely right. And um, I've heard horror stories. I mean, there's literally cops don't go into Watts and certain areas right. of Compton and stuff right. like that. And it is. As so the so multiply flies. that out to a whole country, and that's yeah. like our little story, right? Totally. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. It's yeah. really interesting. Where'd you grow up in South Africa? So uh, I was born in Durban. Okay. Everybody will know Durban. Uh, East Coast, um, subtropical climate. Probably, I would say in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, Durban was probably the best surf urban area in the world. Really? Yeah, I, I would call it that. And it's easy, and we'll talk about that a bit, because um, it continued to... It was the home base of surfing in the country. Okay, remember post-World War II, you know, everybody started catching waves, and then boards would make their way over to South Africa, and, and it's a warm region. 
and uh, so the 50s and 60s Durban really sort of morphed into an amazing urban surf area and then the high rises came up and it became a very popular holiday destination so imagine like a combination of the Gold Coast of Australia and maybe Miami for party and beach scene and that you know that that's kind of what Durban was and a lot of people I mean the Sean Thompson's will remember it like that right because they were the products of that era in the 70s so that whole beach the Durban beachfront was an incredible place of energy and ideas and creativity and it the Bay of Plenty was this amazing sand spit wave it's still there today of course sure. but it doesn't break the same and mm. there's many engineering and geographical discussions about that but the Durban of that time just produced surfer after surfer it was just such an instrumental part of actually the global surf picture today in many ways yeah yep. totally so um so I grew up in Durban okay uh what did your parents do did not grow up in surfing at all okay like, we were, we were in the beachside suburbs. Durban's a pretty small pocket, you know, so it doesn't matter where you live in Durban. All roads lead to the beach, one of those stories. But I didn't really uh, grow up in the beach culture as such. My dad it was actually a cartoonist. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So he, uh, he was actually in sound and engineering in the broadcast thing, and he sidelined cartooned, and he kept growing that to the point where it actually became his main career but he used to cartoon for the 1964-65 magazine publication the first proper publication called South African Surfer hmm. uh, produced by uh, a guy called uh, Max Wetland and Harry Bold hmm. and those are like you know people that know the South African culture they'll recognize those names straight away in fact sure. Max Wetland had something to do with the blank blowing business up until oh, okay. he passed away that's another story is tight with Midget Farrelly over yeah. in Australia um, so, other than that connection to surfing, my dad being the cartoonist for the local surf publication of the 60s, um, I didn't really grow up in surfing at all. Okay. I was kind of like preppy, uh, preppy school, you know, like good swimmer, all that stuff at school, but didn't hang at the beach. And then, kind of middle of high school, I was a really late starter, like 14 years old, I borrowed a bodyboard. And I just remember traveling inside these these tunnels and just, can you remember that like the first time a wave ever actually ever pitched over you, right? I do, totally. Right, exactly. Yeah. So there was just this gray overcast day sometime back in 1980 or whenever it was. And I just multiplied all these little barrels on a boogie board. And it was just like, I left the beach that day, which was not a common place for me to visit. And I was like, oh my gosh, like... like the universe just like changed direction there was like a fork in the road so my school marks went from like first in class to last basically <laughs> over the period of my high school life and I just I, I just got besotted with the immersion in the ocean I, I, that, that, that lip pitching over you only in a close out barrel for a second or two right yeah. it was just incredible it was like a place where I, I couldn't hear the headmaster and I couldn't hear my parents and I, it was just a safe place and I I've never left, right? It's amazing. <laughs> so that's the story of how I started. Yeah, the that's amazing. Um, you talk about that that time, the 50s and 60s, kind of being the heyday in Durban. I think of, when I think of South Africa now, I hear a lot about the industry struggling, the surf industry, industry struggling with importing, you know, obviously yep. the discrepancy between the currency. Exactly. And then importing, that makes things really challenging. Yeah. Um, 
was there any board building industry there at the time? Was there any retail business? Oh uh, yeah, so so basically Durban was home to and still is home to a number of surfboard manufacturers, famous names like Spider Murphy, uh, a bunch of my mates. So even the Channel Islands, uh, Almeric licensee is is in Durban. There's a there's probably ten factories. Okay. Geordie's dad, Graham Smith, still producing boards. So Durban's always played host to surfboard manufacturing. Easy access to cheap labour. That's one thing Africa's got, right? Okay. So, uh, so Durban as a surf industry discussion has always been very pertinent. I mean, even today, the the Quicksilvers and the Rip Curls and all those guys have got uh, licensees there. They do. So is it um, supplying just the local economy there, or are they exporting to neighboring countries or regions? or? What I would imagine if you have a licensee for a business and you're based in South Africa, you would have rights to sort of the Indian Ocean Islands, maybe distribution through Mauritius and Reunion, uh, up to Namibia. Look, there's there's all kinds of... Uh, Africa's opening up eh, as a consumer Is it? region. Oh, yeah. It's massive inroads in the cellular business into like the Congo and Nigeria and Tanzania and Kenya and stuff like that. So uh, as far as surf industry goes... That, that I don't think there's too much of that going on. I think it's mostly uh, first world aspiration consumerism in South Africa itself. You know? Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So we, we're probably skipping ahead here in your timeline, but we do have a lot to cover. Um, how did you get involved, get involved in the surf industry? Oh, you know, so Durban kid loves the beach, ends up... Uh, mate whispers in his ear, hey man, you can get a job at the surf shop, you know, and so... So early 80s, ended up uh, learning some sales skills and working for a guy called Mike Lamont. Now, Mike Lamont was from uh, the era, as I mentioned, almost pre-Sean Thompson, where there were like these real hardcore guys that were going over to uh, Hawaii every year. And Mike was an astute businessman, and he brought back the lightning bolt licensee, which would then unfold and become Rip Curl South Africa for a, a number of decades not in he doesn't have that anymore but um yeah so so the main surf shop on the main street going down to all the surf breaks was home to us a number of surf shops there but mike lamont had the main surf shop and so i ended up working there and there was a bunch of us at the time that uh, all worked there and were literally spat out of the system you know sure. so guys like paul nodi he's running Vizsla here today in in the orange county right he, he was uh, yeah. he captain billabong for a long time yeah. uh, guys like barry wallens there's so many names that have been through that surf shop and it just seemed wow. to yeah so it was this like a little farm that kept producing people and uh, is even you know to this day there's still a bunch of guys that we all look back and laugh and go how was that time you know because it really was instrumental sure so you're working retail shop and then um yeah work retail shop uh finished uh, high school and uh what do you do when you leave high school right well you know kind of hustle around look for something you know what's your career path uh my dad said go and be a lawyer i was like are you kidding me and he's like no 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 go do that and i was like i did two years of it and i just the surfing was overtook me so uh i completely flunked university and um then I had to do national service, right? So at that time, South Africa was still fighting a war with a lot of uh, the Russians and the Cubans were trying to infiltrate South Africa as a strategic geographical zone at the bottom of, of Africa. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people my age, I'm early 50s now, so a lot of people did national service. And you did two, so it was two years in the national force. Uh, there was a lot of swindling involved in that because I made sure I ended up back in... Uh, 
back in Durban. Okay. Yeah, for a part of that service. So that was two years. And then while I was in the army, um, I actually made some molds for some rubber swim fins and started distributing that. And then had the surf shop experience prior to that. Ended up growing business. Uh, used to import Floho sandals. You remember the Floho? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grew up John in Cobian. Yeah, exactly, right? So I ended up importing all that stuff and just, yeah, ended up back in the surf industry again. And it's uh, amazing. Yeah. So you talked about uh, getting into the ocean on a bodyboard. Did you transition into, I know you're a kneeboarder. Right. Did you ever transition into a surfboard at any point? Or yeah, did you just yeah. I, I can stand through? up okay. Yeah, can but, you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen any imagery to, no, we'll to talk, support we'll it. No, we'll talk a bit about that. But, um, I, you know, I knew you were going to ask me this, right? So I was kind of like, what am I going to say to David? And I think that, you know, the lead guitarist or the front singer of the band is always like going to get all the limelight, right? But oh. the bass player or the drummer, and they, they're all making the band, right? Cool. And they're all totally. doing it with all their conviction. Yeah. So um, I was on this floppy bodyboard and I went to Graham Smith and then Graham found out my dad was the cartoonist guy and he knew like it's so and he was like no I'm gonna make you this and he made me like a little Larry Bertelman four foot eight by 21 inches wide kind of twin fin thing okay which I could maybe boogie board or kneel on and that's literally how I got going and the thing went so damn fast I was like dude this is it I'm, I'm and I knelt on the thing why did he make you such a small board because I was a small guy. Oh, you were still a yeah. kid at the time? <laughs> so it was like a 15-year-old skinny kid. Got it, got And I was like, it. I took him the boogie board and he just laughed at me. I said, no, I want this thing to not bend. Make me something like that. And he says, dude, i just come back from Hawaii. I've been surfing Valzidan. I'm like, what the hell's Valzidan? Yeah, yeah. You know, we're like at the bottom of South Africa in the height of apartheid. You know, it's like, we don't know this stuff, you know? Other than the odd surfer or surfing magazine that would make its way to a, a newsagent shelf. Yeah, so... Then had you seen any kneeboarders no, in those magazines? No, no idea. You, you started kneeling because it just made sense with the board. Exactly. Really? Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. So it was just like a... And then I just felt really good and then I could learn to turn it. And I was like... And so I did that for like a year. And then I, then I actually did see another kneeboarder. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And the one guy I did see was a guy called Dean Cleary. Now, who the hell is Dean Cleary? Dean Cleary is actually a surfboard shaper that left Huntington along with another surfboard shaper, Lonnie Bun, they ended up going down to South Africa. So they left the Huntington board manufacturing game. I believe Lonnie's still in Durban. Dean Cleary is back here. But Dean Cleary is like part of Ron Romanowski and all these other kneeboarders from down you know, south of here. Yeah. And, um, and then I saw Dean Cleary riding a wave one day in the Bay of Plenty Bowl. And it's like just the, the synchronicity of how he rode, his like application to rail the low center of gravity, and just the seamless surfing was like really just made that impression on me. I was like, oh my God, I want to do that for the rest of my life. Fascinating. Yeah. And you have sur- like stand-up surfed. And what was your, um, like what's your preference for bodyboarding over stand-up surfing? <laughs> well, kneeboarding I'm, I'm sorry, stand-up. kneeboarding. No, no, it's all not good. Not bodyboarding. It's all good. Um, you know, it, it, I, I always, I'm going to draw it back to that thing about the band, you know? Like yeah. who's the best musician in the band? Like is it the bass drummer? Is it the... Is it the saxophonist, you know, or is it really the lead guitarist? You know, it's one of those questions. So um, when you start comparing that stand-up thing, I mean, there's, there's some stand-up surfers I can't stand watching. And then there's some stand-up surfers just absolutely, you just go, wow, you know, like, so the art form of how it's executed is to me, you know, the beauty of it. Let me ask it this way then. What do you get out of kneeboarding that you don't get out of stand-up? 
I'll take so much flack for this one, right? Um, <laughs> I, I just think for me, it was a total involvement thing. Okay. You know, like I think about riding a little go-kart around a track and then maybe on like a tall bicycle or something. Like what's the sensation of speed? And just that low downness for me uh, just felt right, you know. Maximum leverage in and just being low down. Uh, it was like a more sensory overload for me. Huh. Yeah. If that's the case, are you surprised that the sport hasn't really grown more in popularity? You know, I've no idea why it hasn't. Because uh, isn't everything retro these days? Like, everything's cool, right? That's true. Uh, it I might mean, be coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out, folks. No, but um, I, I think that... Uh, and it's a hard one. We had incredibly thriving club culture. If you look at what was happening in Narrabeen and all uh, parts of the Australian coastline, kneeboarding played a massive part in the shortboard revolution worldwide. You know, Durban, we had an incredible uh, surf scene with... Uh, great kneeboard clubs and I'm mean, talking a couple hundred competitors and stuff but I think that um, I think at the end of the 80s I think stand-up surfing shortboard just kicked to gear and it kind of cost nearly every other wave riding discipline okay. other than maybe the foam explosion with the bodyboard world right sure which has also had its ups and downs by yeah, the way yeah. Um, so yeah not not really sure where all the kneeboarders are but you know it's uh the few of us that they are I think they're still gung-ho and they're going for it you know yeah and you're right though it has lent itself to like surfboard design as a whole like the fish design yep. came a lot yep. lot out of that but I guess um, the band analogy is apt because why is the lead guitarist more popular than the bass guitarist there's no real reason other than yeah. it just caught fire except with your argument I would think if the kneeboard is actually more fun, like if it's actually more fun to play the bass guitar, I think that there would be, be a transition. Guitar, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know though. I can't speak to it because I just haven't ever tried kneeboarding. Yeah. So maybe I should give it a shot. Well, exactly. but I, I could see even when this topic came up, you automatically I think shift into a certain um, defensiveness because it is viewed as maybe a second-class citizen yeah, compared to shortboarding or stand-up surfing in yeah, general. Absolutely. But I don't mean to uh, paint it that way at all. Like, I seriously... I grew, I, up, I grew up in apartheid. It's fine. I, mean, I can handle it. <laughs> I know you can handle it. I just don't want to be that guy. No, nah, but, but so I know... So you you listen to the podcast, and I was going to ask you, actually, like, as a listener, I don't want to come across as being myopic and too narrow focused where it's like all I ever talk about and focus on is high performance short boards um, or anything like that so I'm giving you today is your platform to tout everything all the um, wonders of kneeboarding all uh, that you no, want. let's not make it that it's, it's I, not but I want to have a broader subject and yeah. discussion than that but no of course look I, I just think I think that look I'm fascinated by board design okay um, you know I love you guys and uh, and your part. The other guy, Scott. Scott you guys go Chaz, on about it. And yeah. So, so you're not the uh, yeah guy, yeah guy. He's the yeah guy, yeah guy. Okay, That's all right. Scott. Now that I got it. <laughs> but uh, look, I mean, working in the surf shop, like you speak to everyone a across the board. So it's like, and you get so locked into surfboard discussion, right? And so I, f I love translating that across to what's making a kneeboard work. You know. Because yeah, in yeah. my mind, I'm actually not kneeboarding. I'm surfing. Yeah, and I still is. think, like, there's a goofy foot stance, there's a natural stance, and then there's my stance. And that's, like, how I see it through my eyes. Interesting. Yeah. And it's, like, 
it's weird because when you're 15 and everyone's je- jeering at you to stand up all the time, which they did, right? Yeah, of course. I don't know why it just was water off the duck's back for me. I was like, I was like cool, I'm just doing it my way, you know? I'm playing that bass guitar, whatever it is, you know? Right. And I think that um, maybe my pigskinness or whatever it was, actually, every, people can only tease you for so long and then they accept you, you know? Of course, yeah. And, um, gee, all these years later, I kind of, I know people all around the world and it's just, surfing's just been such a gift, actually. You know, and kneeboarding within that, and um, it's funny because um, like today's the last of us dinosaurs, right? The kneeboarders. I think we're like the surfers were in the '60s and '70s. There's a real bond, you know. Like they, you can just walk it anywhere, and the guys are kneeboarding, and you're just suddenly you're staying on his couch at at home, and you're connecting, and suddenly he's like sharing the secret spot. And there's like an old school uh, link and bond, like a tribe. Which maybe doesn't exist that much in at the forefront of modern surf society now. I think modern surf society is already factioned off, yeah. and we're infighting. You know, it's like yeah, oh, exactly. shortboarders. I can't be exactly. friends with that guy. That guy's gonna—he's competing for waves with me. Like, I don't want right. to be friends with him. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, let's go back to South Africa a little bit. I'm always interested in the business of surfing, and I think South South Africa is just an interesting microcosm yep. in itself. You talked about um, your kind of history. You also got into the retail business yourself, right? Yeah, you absolutely. You own a number of surf shops. Yep. So still a, still a surf retailer today. Okay. Um, I, <laughs> how's that for another dinosaur subject, right? Like how many like yeah. core surf shops where the owner runs it all day are, are still left, you know? That's a good point, yeah. But do you... So my question back to you is, do you think we're at a stage now where it's gone full circle almost... And now those little surf shop pulses are actually an important part of uh, the surfing fabric, the real surfing fabric that's left around the world. I do. Yes, I do. Yeah. I think by full circle, I think part of the circle that we kind of worked through was just maybe big box retailers where there's no personality. Yep. And it's strictly an exploitation of the culture, quote unquote. So I think that what will survive, and maybe I haven't been to your shop, obviously, but like is customer service, competitive pricing, and quality product. So if you provide some sort of a personal touch in that customer service element, yep. that's something that you just can't replicate online. Yep. And um, yep. you know, competitive pricing doesn't mean the lowest price. There might be a lower price online, but I think consumers are willing to pay a little difference, yeah. a little premium yeah. for, you know, their local coffee shop versus Starbucks or something like that. Hundred percent right. And so, and I think that also people need guidance with specifically with board design, like yep. you're talking about. Yeah. They need to go in and chat yep. with somebody. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of value in those things, and yep. they'll always surf shops will always have a place. Hundred percent. Okay. And, and I find myself hidden in that little bubble. Okay. Yeah. How many How many stores do you have? Just two stores. Um, whereabouts in exactly? one little town about an hour's drive outside of Cape Town for okay. a number of years I was downtown Cape Town so I'll link it all the way back to Durban right so I grew up in Durban the surf industry is booming all around me I get my turn finally get some traction hustle some money together open a surf shop a dream surf shop dude right at the base of a pier called the new pier mm-hmm. right so everyone knows new pier now new pier in context was the Bay of Plenty roll. So in other words, the 70s 
there was this little cafe called Dante's on the Durban beachfront, and it produced all... It, Martin Potter got spat out of that system. Sean Thompson prior to him. All the guys. I mean, there's just every name that you can think of from surfing performance-wise in the 70s. The Paul Nadeers. The, there's so many names that came out of the Bay of Plenty. Then they, the, the Durban City Council started changing the Durban beachfront. They made it more promenade. They re-landscaped it. They ripped up the old piers. They put in new piers. And the waves did start changing. But then in that 80s transition... The 90s would arrive and we then had a new, surfing in Durban had a new home and it was at the new pier. So the reason why I tell you it that way is yeah. because I've been doing it since year dot, right? Back in sure. the early 90s as far as surf retail goes. And then we had a surf shop that, I mean it did okay, but the advantage was I stared out the door and the new pier is just a quality sandbar right-hander and it, it just I'd get barreled every single day. I'm talking heavings, four to eight foot barrels, like 280 days out of 360. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Durban just pumped for like a period of time. Wow. And lots of people will chuckle and laugh, oh, he's talking nonsense. There was a time where it just, I think Rabbit speaks of Kira in the 70s and all that, you know? So we speak of uh, the new peer in the, in the mid-90s. But there were a lot of kids floating around that would get pulled through that system and that culture. And one of them is Geordie, right? So Geordie was a little grommy that would visit our surf shop every day and eventually ended up babysitting the guy every day, you know? Mm. So just to link that whole retail story back, yeah. then Durban would change. And in with the with apartheid really swinging the other way, Nelson Mandela coming into uh, power, he would then obviously set all the changes in motion, but the changes cannot always be controlled. And one of them was the influx of millions of people into the urban surf area of Durban that couldn't be controlled so they arrived uneducated uh, not ready to take on urban living and so such a, a crash of society and interesting yeah yeah hectic stuff yeah and so Durban literally economically withered away for a time okay yeah yeah so that's how I ended up in Cape Town and Cape Town downtown for over a decade and now I'm in a little coastal town probably like compares to like a little Santa Barbara type of town oh, it's called nice. Hermanus yeah okay yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And both shops are there. Both shops are there, right. What's the name of the shop? Oh, cool. oh, yeah, we call it Surf Zone. Surf Zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So I've been going since, as I say, since the, since the new pier days. Um, what is your primary business? Like, is it mainly tourism? Is it, yeah. Is yeah. it mainly surfboards or I'm guilty. soft goods? I sell a lot of tourist t-shirts. Oh, really? Yeah, guilty. Okay. Yeah, that's all right. But you know what? It's a holiday town. It's an affluent holiday town. It's well-established. Lots of old money, lots of holiday homes. Uh, so we've got a nice base of people that come in and, you know, everything from performance surfboards to fishes and mini mouths and longboards. Kneeboards? Yeah, actually, a few. But nice. funnily enough, I'm probably one of the few surf shops in the world that actually has them, right? Sure. Maybe John Mel up in, in yeah. Santa Cruz. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And a few others. But, yeah. So lots of T-shirts. And listen, tourists love buying bags and hats and caps. And, you know, yeah, of course. Yeah, selling the lifestyle, dude. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, I'm curious... What do you think Jordy's success has done for the morale of the region and the surf culture okay. in South Africa? Look, I think that the Jordy story uh, is there to inspire every kid from every part of the world, right? Okay. So certainly, of course, back home, I mean, we all, we all know him and love him. And yes, of course, 
it fires up a lot of the other kids. I think it uh, brings a little despair to some of the other kids as well because Geordie's just a special talent and not everybody has that. And at the same time, economically now, for a young pro surfer out of South Africa to actually claw his way into the system is actually a huge challenge. It's like, it's very difficult for a South African to crack the code these days. Of course, there's special talents and stuff like that. But I would say that uh, economically, we're 12 rand to the dollar. So it's 12 times more expensive for a kid from South Africa to make the tour. It's like Geordie got through the eye of the needle there, boom. And he was always going to, he was a special talent. I don't see any new Geordies just yet, by the way, coming out of Durban or out of Cape Town. That was on my list of questions, oh, actually. Right. Is okay, sorry, who, I didn't mean to jump. No, forward, no, no, not at all. Um, who, who uh, is an up? Who's an upcoming talent? Maybe no, there's no Geordies that are like going to win a world title, but who do we? Uh, should we keep our eye out for? Oh, okay, all right. So South African talent right now, I would say there's a young kid, Matt McGillivray, out of J Bay. Okay. Just actually won a QS 3000 in Israel, the first one on the list for the year. Okay, that's so right. Little, I little did Matt see that. is a great surfer. He grew up at the point at J Bay, um, comes from a solid home, and the doors seem to be opening for him. I think there's potential there. Uh, Mikey February, who finished uh, 15th. Mikey February is a great story, by the way. He's, is just, he? he's just a good kid, comes from a great family, and he's from the colored community. So you've know, you got to talk about these things really carefully right but mm-hmm. you know we you know if you look at there's white south africans there's black south africans there's indians and there's coloreds and so mikey represents the people that would maybe never have 20 years ago you know looked at professional surfing mikey comes with all that inspiration he's a talent hell of a nice kid as i said his dad isaac's a great guy and to me i really hope i mean he finished i think 15th on the qs for 2017 and I'm hearing that uh, the WSL did ask him for a number choice. So, you know, sometimes there's injuries and sometimes we might see him in the vest mm-hmm. in, on, the, on the championship tour this year. So that's amazing. I don't feel like he was at the top of the ratings going into Hawaii. I think he did well in Like, I wasn't expecting to see him qualify or even come close to qualifying. But I was shocked to see that he did so well. That he hung in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah really well, Mikey impressive. comes out of Cape Town and he comes out of a little town called Komiki. Oh, okay. So Brendan Gibbons is from, right? Exactly, right. Yeah. And uh, Benji and Davey Brand spent yeah. a lot of time there as well. And, uh, gee, you can talk about the talent out of the Komiki area, but Komiki's quite a little robust, knuckly little piece of geography just south of Cape Town. And it just gets swell all the time. It can okay. also handle all sorts of winds, all sorts of conditions. So the kids there, there's a little bit of a country feel to the town, even though it's only maybe 40 minutes from the central downtown Cape Town. Okay. And... Uh, they're they're a very surf stoked little community so mikey comes from that now if you come from comic you're going to be able to grovel two foot waves you are gonna get forced to paddle out on a nine six at sunset reef which is like in a just in a crazy big peak that uh, you'll see sometimes if you google it it's across the bay from dungeons but cape town's got two massive big waves dungeons and sunset so i know that mikey is kind of does it all over there you know so to me he comes in as quite a well-rounded package as a as potential great style too dude yeah Ostrada on uh on the commentary he always calls him uh, freestyle february that's right yeah exactly i like it <laughs> so you mentioned cool. dungeons and i know you've had some experience out there um what's what's unique about that wave as a big wave destination well you know 
there's not that many big waves around the world, right? Right. Well, people argue that, but I mean... There's a dozen, maybe. There's a dozen. Most, yeah. yeah. Again, the geography is unique that uh, Dungeon sits in a place where it's just getting serviced with swell all the time. Obviously, we've learned now. We Look, dude, I went there with a jet ski in 1999. My mate and I bought a wave runner, like one of these things that hardly better than a lawnmower, you know, putt, 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 <laughs> freaking thing was like spewing oil and thing. But we just wanted to explore the coastline of South Africa because there's just so many waves and the shark issue and everything else. So we just, and then we, well, we actually saw Ross Clark Jones's biggest Wednesday thing. And we were like, no dude, we can do that. And so, you know, we got like 25 yards of rope and a broomstick handle and, you know, and we just like hacked into it. Gnarly. And then, you know, a season or two later, then Gerlach and Parsons and Adam Rapogel came down and we watched them tow and we were like, oh my gosh, yo, we can, we can totally do this stuff. So. We were actually putting around dungeons with an old jet ski at first, and so, but it was at the time where that whole big wave thing. There was a, there was a strong drive by guys like the name of Mickey Duffus were uh, brainstorming uh, a big wave event down in in South Africa, and uh, Red Bull got behind that, and they would then, along with uh, a lot of input from Gary Linden, who plays a massive part in the the culture of big wave surfing, uh, would see that dungeons event just roll out nearly i think they did it for about eight or nine years hiring for a small business is critical it's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do linkedin jobs will be your next big unlock linkedin jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And that, so I, and I kind of got drawn into that. I'd moved from Durban to Cape Town. I ended up helping on all the water safety on the ski, ended up commentating the event later on, and just spent some absolutely crazy winters in hectic conditions down there. Like, like looking at like 60 feet waves. Wow. You know? Yeah, yeah. How does the wave compare or differ from some of the other iconic big waves we know, like Nazare now or Mavericks or Jaws? I think Nazare is almost a separate subject because of just the way the wave forces itself into that canyon and that. But I would say Dungeons does not have the the absolute peak that squeezes together and is perfect like Mavericks. And it definitely doesn't have what Jaws has. There's no way. But it, it gets 
a big raw version. I think that's the, that's the word to use. Is it's very raw. It's a good way to put it. Yeah, and I think because we're so, if you look at the position of it, the geography is we're so close to the swell source. Mm. You know, the, you can see a swell, and then two days later, it's there. Like whereas you guys in the North Pacific are tracking swells that take four, five days. Yeah. So we're getting a lot more. We get more blunted with weather and and rawness. Yeah. So I'd say Dungeons is pretty hectic. It's very few days that, that Dungeons is actually paddleable. Yeah, so my my assessment just from viewing it is, you know, if you're at Mavericks, you could sit on the shoulder. You can kind of pick and choose, I would think. Yep. And same thing at Jaws. There's a channel that you can paddle out at. I feel like I've seen waves at Dungeons that close out, more like almost like Waimea Bay closeouts. So yep. it is more woolly and more raw, like you yep. said, and less predictable. Yeah, and then also sometimes there's sort of multiple swells in the ocean okay. there as well. Like we, we definitely don't get the cleaner, more refined swells that the Northern Hemisphere breaks tend to get. Okay. Yeah, that's, that, that's a fair assessment, I think, of the way to say it. Interesting. Yeah. Have you surfed any of those other big wave spots? Or like Mavericks or uh, Jaws or anything like that? So um, in 2005, and this was like just as that whole circus started exploding at, uh, at Jaws, uh, my mate, a guy called Jason Ribbink, he actually does the Channel Islands licensee down in South Africa. Him and I just got on this fun roll with like mess. We're literally mucking around with the jet ski. That's what we were doing. You know, we just wanted to explore rivers and beaches around the Durban area and the Cape Town area that uh, that weren't really accessible, and we just were into this thing. And so then we kind of like had a go at it and then Oakley put up some money in 2004 for the biggest wave ridden in Africa and we smashed that and we got that and then we used that money and we came over and we towed Jaws and we got pretty lucky the swell came early and we actually ended up towing an evening at Jaws this is now back in 2005 it's a long time ago and um, I just it was just an insane experience we went back the next day and there were like 40 like tow teams going and wow. we were just like oh well we got our little one experience so I towed we towed an evening at Jaws in early March 2005 by ourselves literally I think there's one other ski it was just this like amazing dude it's, it's like I still think like I pinch myself I go, yeah did that really happen yeah so um so yeah that's that toe story in a nut in a nutshell interesting did you watch the Nazare event last weekend I did I did I got to commentate it the year before mm-hmm. uh when Jamie Mitchell won and um this year I got to watch it and it it's it's a tough zone eh it is. I, I'm really conflicted about it. Like, I have the highest hopes and aspirations yep. for not only the WSL, but, like, competitive surfing at large. And I think yep. big wave surfing, too. Yep. It's, like, so exciting. As a spectator who maybe doesn't know anything about surfing, there's sure. a lot of potential there because it's just so exciting. Yeah. Tiny dude, giant wave. Oh, yeah. Trans versus the beast, right? Right. Yeah. However... I think I've kind of come to a realization now. I might not land here permanently, but currently I'm abandoning competitive big wave surfing, I think. Like, I don't think there needs to be contests. I am totally down to watch it. And I'm totally down with the end of the year award ceremony recap of reassessment. But the organization of trying to predict the swell, green light it, get everybody there in time, run an event in a limited period of time make sure everybody gets their waves and they're given heat like it's too hard to wrangle you know it's such a puzzle eh, logistically to put it together but at the same time how do you continue to stimulate uh big wave surfing and um, so i'll argue the other side right yeah please (laughs) hey you've come out of you come out with guns blazing um no i think that 
the big wave tour is justifiable. I think that people are interested in it. I think if you get, if you think of the CT, okay, if you look at the championship tour, you get an event that's got kind of bad waves, like maybe like, you know, one of them in Brazil or something like that. The whole world just comes down and goes, you know. So maybe we're being a little harsh on Nazare in this discussion. That's my opinion. But I mean, what happens if Mavericks goes in the next 10 days and it's absolutely top to bottom 30 feet? Could we win some of your vote back? Yeah, I reckon. So, yes, but <laughs> but what I'm arguing is that watching them in jerseys compete in a one or two day period isn't, I don't think, any more exciting for me than just watching them surf it. Like if they, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or if maybe the format can be completely shaken up and it's just like I everybody go shred and or surf and then we will review all the six stuff hour later. Six-hour expression sessions. Yeah, something that like could that. Work. Yeah. You know, just because, like you said, trying to make the puzzle interlock all the pieces and just make it fit it's the format. It's one of the hardest puzzles in sport to put together. I'm not convinced that there's like a, a viable, economically viable way to do it, you know? Um, and again, I'm rooting for it. But like, I'm all the, for it. I mean, the Porto events back-to-back have been ex- and the totally Jaws, acceptable. And the Jaws event, too. Pihani you know? is yeah. amazing. But again, then I have to real. And I think Mavericks, myself, adding Mavericks is going to have a huge impact going forward. Yeah. Yeah. And But then I ask myself, well, it was rad, but is it radder than just watching the guys free surf it? I'm not sure. Yeah. You know? No, no, no. So, I'm... Um, it's but I think, that, I think that bronze, silver, and gold coefficients is also a nice way to filter it all. That's a smart adjustment. Yeah. So for sure. to me, that was a great thing that the the guys put together. Well, so my first exposure to you was I think two years ago at the Rio event. Yeah, the Rio threw, Pro. Yeah, they threw me under the bus with that. Yeah. Did they really? No, no, no. I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm joking. You got the last minute call up. <laughs> well, yeah, kind of. Well, okay. So give me the give me the story of um, how do I how, end up? How do, how do you, I end how, up there? Yeah, how do you end up with the WSL? So, um, those days on the Durban beachfront, there used to be the Gunston 500, and um, it was right outside my shop, right? So, um, and then Sean Thompson would come down and commentate, and and I was just, and I'd won some Kneeboard world titles, so I'd actually won four world titles back-to-back, 92, 94, 96, 98, in the ISA framework, and so, you know, kind of like, oh, well, come and say something, and, and so I got into it that way. And um, it just felt natural to talk about something that I love so much. I mean, I'm still just that kid that got barreled on that cloudy day sure, back when yeah, I was yeah. 14, you know. It's like, dude. So um, I found it easy to talk about things that I like, right? It's a pretty dumb answer, I know, <laughs> but I'll stick with it. And, um, and then, as I say, uh, what happened was the cigarette legislation then uh, put pressure on Siggy uh, advertising and then Gunston would cancel as a sponsor. And Mr. Price then came in as a the, the main sponsor for surf events then. And uh, two great friends of mine, Pierre Tosti, who was on the tour at one stage, and another guy, Greg Swart, great charger, hardcore Hellman surfer. They were involved with marketing at Mr. Price. And so I would then also get little call-ups to, to commentate and stuff like that. And so I've always just played with it. And um, yeah, and then I ended up commentating at uh, J-Bay in 2014 when uh, the WSL had, you know, rebooted the whole championship tour from that year onwards. Okay. And ended up meeting everybody, and uh, I'd done some stuff at the Belito Pro before then. Okay. And then um, the guys at WSL kind of got me involved with Europe, 
and it was, a, it was like a steep learning curve sure because you know it's not it's actually not really something that you can go and study a course on or whatever right so i would then just like suddenly like be listening to ronnie blakey and joe Tupel and going gee okay all right well you better know your facts on this and you better know your facts on that and you better have some colorful adjectives you know and um and so yeah so then um, that's when i did one of the first championship tour ones was rio and funny because brazil always takes so much flack right as of course. A, as an event um so how'd you get the call up for that um, I'm not sure how, but they obviously must have heard me talking prior to that and doing a few other events. And I did some World Junior Champs and stuff like that. Were you subbing for somebody who didn't go to Rio um, that you were filling? No, I'm not sure. Okay, because, yeah. I mean, obviously not every... The entire commentary team does not commentate every event around the world. Yeah, it's like there's a pool of guys and then certain guys are on for certain... I, I don't know, you don't how, know how, how that selection works. process okay. works. I, that I don't know, yeah. Got um, it. But... Um, but I mean, every every chance you get, you're just stoked, and I mean, just to work with the guys is amazing. You know, it's are you such sc- an honor, actually. Of course, yeah. Are you scheduled on any events this year that you know of? I'm not sure at this stage. I would imagine. I mean, I'm on. I'm getting emails from WSL still, so um, uh, I would imagine I'll get on some stuff. I mean, obviously, when the J Bay event comes around, I'm on the beach commentary there. So uh, you know, that's kind of uh, that's sort of my pet event. Would you like to do it full time? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say yes, because um, because you get to look. I'd be watching it anyway, right? So um, to to get a bit of to get a bit of payment for it and to hang out and do it and and listen, it's a great the, the, when you're in that thing. The WSL is amazing. It's just like there's such great people and it's a really it's a great set of mechanisms to be amongst, you know. And as I say to watch the world's best surfers, uh, I'm watching them anyway, you right? Know? We hear, um, we, and by we, I mean myself and whoever I'm on the podcast with, yep. but also the internet at large, yep. we're all so quick to criticize the oh, commentary dude. team, right? Of course. And um, But isn't that, this, that's the role, right? You, it it you, really is. The minute is. you step into that role, you are going to get guns blazed from half the community it, and you're going to get uh, applauded by the other, right? Even the best commentators still get ripped apart by part of the internet. Yeah. My question to you is just what do we as the internet need to know about doing that job? Oh, um, gee, I don't know. Like I say, it's not really something you can study, right? I think um, people that do have the gift of the gab are going to be better off. In a sense. I mean, you need that, but at the same time, you need a lot more than that, you know? Yeah, Yeah, I guess so. Um, Like I say, uh, you know... I, like, I get super nervous, right? When you, you? When you well, yeah, because you're going to get guns blazed, you know. Like you, someone's going to like take you out. But um, you know, the guys would say to me, "Listen, just don't read social media for the next week." You know, the commentary <laughs> and, team yeah, says that. Well, people people have said it to me. You yeah. know, like don't take stuff personally because everyone's going to ha- everyone's got an opinion, right? And they're right. not all going to go your way. So, um, but I think I think the things to remain for me, it's I find it easy to be humble and remain neutral because it's I'm not doing it to be. Uh, someone I'm doing it because I love it and I think that's a good enough reason to do it yeah and a good enough reason to want to do it better and better each year so uh, I, I love everything about the sport you know and I've been involved in it on so many layers you know from oh as I say through the big wave world to industry to everything else and as I say I just it's a total privilege that they can actually call me up and I think yeah as I say it's uh if it goes on and on, that would be amazing. But um, look, it's exciting because uh, Japan's coming up in 2020, you know. 
I mean, secretly, yeah. I'd love to be yeah. part of that. You know, of I mean, what? Geez, incredible. You know? And everything that comes after it. Exactly. You know? It's right. like a yeah. portal into yeah, exactly. the future. Exactly. How uh, did you take your friend's advice about not reading the social criticisms after <laughs> you go public? Uh, you know what? Every you, you you can't help but being curious. Yeah. You know, like we're all human, right? Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, you did. Listen, I've been slayed by some people. Yeah. And then other people have uh, had some very good stuff to say. And so I, what do you do, right? You choose, it, you choose yeah. which one to, which wolf to feed, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I deal with it on a much smaller level with the right. podcast. Every time yep. we put, publish something, you go check the comments section and there's yep. always people saying negative things. And so I've struggled with that myself is like, you want to read all the stuff. And I've gotten to the point where it's kind of like, no, I need to pick a lane. Yes. drive really hard in the lane at yeah. what I know and think is the right thing to do and then haters be damned like who cares you know yeah. and I was this is kind of tangential but I was spending a weekend at my parents house recently and they're watching this show on deep cable it's called Treehouse Masters right and it's about I, I a guy know it, I know yeah. we get it we get it in South Africa do you really yeah, yeah, yeah. stupidest show ever I but know. for some reason it's but we watch it right yeah yeah <laughs> So the, the central figure in the show builds tree houses for a living, like yeah. these crazy tree houses. And he is such a weirdo, like the most eccentric, idiosyncratic, weird yeah. dude. And I am watching him just in is my he head. <laughs> <laughs> That's I missed that episode. Um, but I'm watching it just making fun of the guy in my head. But there, yeah. And I realized, man if the surfing kind of message forms existed for treehouse masters yeah. this guy would get ripped a new one and you know what we as the viewers would suffer because of it this show is only entertaining because he's this big of a weirdo <laughs> and i'm not trying to be a weirdo but it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. if he ever stopped being who he was yeah. because of he read comments on youtube or whatever right. it was then the show would lose all of its magic yeah, you know yeah. like we need weird he's characters. He's building Treehouse with conviction there, man. He's, yeah, he is. Yeah. He loves it. We just, and that's the thing. You just need conviction. And it doesn't matter yeah. if you're right or wrong. Like, that's okay because that's also yeah. entertaining. Yeah. Being wrong is entertaining. Yeah. Being opinionated like that. is entertaining. That's, that's, a, you know? that's, that's a good viewpoint right it, there. It really shifted my perspective. And it was kind of like, you know what? I've said it before, but it's kind of like you do what you do for the people who get it, not for the people who don't get it. Yep. And there will always be people who don't get it. Yep. No matter how altruistic you are yep. and kind-natured and good-hearted, yep. there will always be people that don't get it. And nah, exactly. So, exactly. Um, but, I, but with the commentators and maybe more so the judges on the WSL, I was like, it's a thankless job. They only are going to receive criticism. They're never going to receive a pat on the back when they do it right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, fair comment. Yeah. Fair comment. And, um, and and I'd say that both those groups of people, ninety nine percent of the time, are doing everything right. Yeah, right? yeah, I would agree with you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um. So, in regard to commentating, I would like to know how the WSL can structure your role differently to allow you to perform at your best. I think the WSL is under some interesting constraints in that they have eight hours a day to fill. Yep. And the opposite obligation of that is they can't have 20 commentators okay they could alleviate the eight hours of work pressure on you by putting 20 commentators in well no the the viewer wants consistency correct so you can only have let's say four commentators that are rotating in two shifts yeah but well, what well, can they do to allow you to perform at your best well so uh, th i think that when people think commentators they don't see all the different roles okay so there's different roles so there's a host role, which uh, I think they call color. 
and then there's so there's play-by-play color sideline sure. there's all these different components and i think that a lot of uh the viewers don't get those defined you spoke about staying in your lane and doing something right so there's host role which joe tipel does ronnie does they've slotted me into that role I don't have the credibility of Barton Lynch or Martin Potter and that and those and Peter Mel those guys are brilliant uh, analysts and they add they add to the story all the time Pete's brilliant by the way because he can actually do everything like Pete does host Pete does analytical he can do sideline um, so so there's all these different roles within the commentating game and so you know they've, they've got me in hosting mm-hmm um, which you really kind of you like the Ron Burgundy right you're just like <laughs> just keeping it all flowing and then go to the weatherman and then come back to you know and so you, you, you storytelling more got it yeah that's and, and also calling the waves right calling the waves you know listen I come from a beach commentator background so I'm a little bit guilty of uh, describing stuff too much you know the guys tell me hey listen lean back let the surfing do the talking just add something to that you know so you, you're learning all the time this commentary thing is 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 evolving for me personally so i'm trying to figure stuff out as i go along as well um how much is the wsl in your ear in the moment dictating your um you know decision making in your commentary um not that much actually hmm. like you'll have a clear idea of what story everyone's trying to tell um of course there's a you know you meet beforehand and you discuss and you analyze afterwards and stuff like that but if you're in that host role where you're talking the story through and uh unless you've gone way off track yeah then then the production guy will peep in your ear or you're going to add break you know yeah and stuff like that but um yeah i guess i've always wondered like how much how many people are there involved in kind of crafting the narrative because you don't want too many cooks in the kitchen first of all and then the commentator themselves are the experts really who should kind of be given free reign but at the same time we don't hear a lot of opinions coming out of the commentators we all as viewers of surfers have of surfing have our favorite surfers and styles that we identify with correct you don't want too much of that to bleed into the commentary booth but it's almost insincere to not let it bleed in you know so what are you saying we need more personal opinions i think so yeah i do think so i think we saw it a bit this year i guess um i can i can think of specific examples where i think it was ronnie blakey calling the heat where um gabriel blocked kelly at backdoor at the pipe masters right and there was uncertainty oh so yeah it was ronnie and pete there was uncertainty about whether or not that was um the interference or not whether it was an interference or not yeah. and it was ronnie kind of saying like yes it should be it should be because of these reasons and pete going well the rule book states this and that yeah and i thought that there was more opinion stated in that yeah um rather than just towing the company line i suppose yeah look i think that's that was a high conflict situation you know and yeah. uh yeah i think they did a good job with it I'm, yeah. i'll go back on the heat analyzer now that we're discussing it um, I remember watching it live, uh, but they discussed all aspects of it really quickly. I thought that was good commentary from both of them, right? And you're yeah. agreeing with me. Yeah, no, I did. Yeah, yeah, totally. You kind of approached that subject from three or four angles as quick as possible and then moved on, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, what do you think are the greatest successes of the WSL since you've been working with them or kind of paying more close attention? I think that they've done a great job of 
repackaging and trying to redirect surfing to a bigger marketplace using this, the tools that we've got available now, right? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, to me, I, I think they're doing an amazing job. And I'm not blowing smoke here. I think that if you look, go back 10 years at a broadcast and then watch a broadcast now, it's, it's incredible the, the level that they've taken it to and I think it's still going further I think there's more they want to get more slick more professional Um, you know you can cross reference to other sports you know mainstream sports uh, and take I think that's where we're trying to go with this thing isn't it is to take surfing to a bigger audience it's where the WSL is trying to go absolutely yeah absolutely I mean the wave pool is going to play a part in that the Olympics coming up will play a further part in that so um, I think they've done a, a great job and you know, each year you tweak your business model too, you know, I guess. They seem to do a good job, to, or they seem to certainly be tweaking it, and a lot of the tweaks seem to come from what the general public is saying. You know, criticisms that the general public levies one year? Yes. They make that adjustment the following year. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, As you would, you pay attention to your marketplace, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's kind of interesting. Like, we were talking about how much do you look at your own personal criticism online. I was curious about <laughs> how much does the WSL actually look at those comments and yeah. make adjustments for No, No idea. Yeah. Dave we, Proden's the guy for all that stuff, right? I'm meeting with <laughs> yeah. him next week, too. Brilliant. Um, so, I asked what the greatest successes are for the WSL. What do you think their greatest either failures or limitations have been in recent years? Like, where could they make more adjustment, do you think? That's an interesting question. Um, hmm. I, I'm not pausing because I've got to be careful about how I answer. I mean, I would imagine I would have to be careful, but uh, uh, I think. Hmm. Look, uh, you got me on this one actually, because I think that they're doing the best that they can with where we're at. You know, in in history, in the timeline, and where surfing fits into modern society. I, I'm not not sure how to further that I think you do it in increments anyway and I can't mm-hmm. think of anything radical that they could do right now to to bring a massive improvement because I think they're doing everything so efficiently and so and so well in comparison to and this is not knocking the ASP by the way because we're making reference to progress right mm-hmm. yeah and I think you and I you're so kind of intimately involved and you have been for so long that you understand all of the challenges involved in just running an event that it's easy to uh, appreciate all the progress that they've made from the outside from somebody who just views the sport as compared to ufc or yep. something else it's easy to see criticisms of or it's course. easy to come up with criticisms yep. but yeah for us it's kind of like it's unbelievable that we're actually getting the experience that we're getting currently yeah well listen it's a massive logistical challenge to put every event together i mean it i think people if they really knew They'd be they'd be shocked at like how much goes on behind the scenes to put stuff together, and it's all subject to the ocean's whims. In the end, so to even run right? events in good waves throughout the year is spec- it's spectacular. Yeah, it's, um, if the ocean just throws that little bit of extra love, like J Bay yeah. last year, for instance, then it just goes stratospheric. Like yeah. everyone just rocks, you know. And then if you have uh, an event with the same amount of effort input financial investment uh, all the skill sets everything on there the best surfers and then the waves don't come to the party in the end the waves do play a part right they do yeah yeah what do you what are the biggest changes that are going to happen with this facebook licensing deal 
I have absolutely no idea. That stuff's beyond me as far as... Uh, look, I think you're going to be able to network your viewership wider quicker. Right? Makes sense. If I, th- if I just answer that randomly. It seems to be the goal. Quick share. Everybody, imagine if everyone that was watching shared with every one of their friends. Right? You're just going... Whoa, you're like... Share it or just in the comment section, tag them and write a comment. Then they get notified. They pull yeah. it up and they comment back. If everyone that was watching through yeah. the WS, uh, through the Facebook uh, portal yeah. just clicked share, how many people are they going to reach? So many more, Exponential right? growth. Exponential. Infinite number of, yeah. yeah. How many friends you got on Facebook? I don't even remember. Right. Thousands. Yeah. yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you share your thousands. I bet you we don't have that many crossovers. Your... 1,500 friends or whatever it is, my 1,500 friends, we've maybe got 20 or 30 that are similar. We've just clicked. You and I clicked twice and we've got 3,000 extra people consciously aware of surfing, right? That's where we're going, I think. Yeah. Is that the right way to answer that? There's no right or wrong. But I mean, that definitely seems like the goal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Click and share. Um, Who do you think does an excellent job commentating, either in surfing or outside of surfing? Like, who do you look up to? Um, look, I like, uh, I like Joe because he's very knowledgeable. Um, he actually, I got to work with him like originally back in 2014. So that was like really cool. I like Ronnie's Aussie crassness, you know, he's got like some so, sort of chirpy comments and that, but that's like how the Australians view stuff. And I like that. Um, I like working with pots, you know, kind of pots came out of Durban as well. So that's been a privilege to work with him. I like working with Pete. Uh, yeah, I enjoy everyone. Yeah, you know, cool. Soft answer, I know, but no, um, I enjoy them all for different reasons too. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, and and to me, Strata is such a character as well. You know, like the minute he first came on, like I frowned for like the first thirty seconds, and then and then I just fell in love with him. You know, this is as a viewer now, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's a cast of characters, man. I always, I grew up liking Strider. You know, like I'm a fan of his in general. Yep, and. But I'm also a, um, you know, critically analyzing viewer of surfing and commentary and all that sort of thing. And I did not think he was that strong for the first year or so. And I did I did like the things that you're talking about, like his enthusiasm and his expertise. Yeah, his quirkiness certainly. and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I liked all that, but I was just like, as a commentator, he's, um, he's maybe fumbling. He's blossomed yeah. so much in the last year and a half. The fumbling for sentences and stuff I felt early on, he's completely smoothed out. Yeah. He's super sharp now. Yep. He's insightful. Yep. Like he's kind of made the biggest progression, I would think, out of any of them. Yep. And I think he's a huge asset now. So what do you think about my commentating? I don't have a ton of experience with you. <laughs> um, I was really tripping when in, in Rio. I was just like, who's this new guy? But honestly, I think you've done a great job. I think you've... Uh, no you, pressure you, with the answer here, Dave. What's that? No pressure with this answer. All right, I'm going to edit this portion out. Um, no, realistically. What you said, I think, hit the nail on the head was you were saying that um, you just love all things surfing and you're passionate about surfing, so it's a joy to do it. That comes through entirely. Like, you have an enthusiasm okay, well, and a sincerity I that. Thank you. Yeah. that I actually I don't get necessarily out of some of the other commentators. Like, um, I like Joe Turpel for certain reasons, but I also feel like you can't really excite him. Like, 
somebody will get the gnarliest barrel and he'll commentate it with the same level of enthusiasm as somebody <laughs> kicking out on a two-point ride. Or, or with a shark swimming through McFanning's leash. That, that is the <laughs> most... Don't kill me for that if you ever hear me. <laughs> that's the most egregious example. Oh, like, oh, wow, looks like there's a shark in the... You know, yeah, and it's yeah, like... Yeah. But again, I like Joe yeah. for other reasons. Yeah. So I think that was... I think what came yeah. through to me most with your commentary was enthusiasm. You know? Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I was the beach commentator when the fanning thing went down. Okay. So that was me screaming in the background. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then Greg Emsley, who was a former pro surfer, he was in the booth with me. He also, like, adds his shouts. But we were just, like, tripping. I mean, I just remember that moment, if you want to talk about that for yeah, a second. Yeah, please, I was just please. Like, I mean, so it was the start of the final, right? Okay, I mean, how many million? I mean, it's 25 million hits or something on... on sure. You know, so, I mean, we all know it, right? Yeah. But when I think about it back, it's like... It's one of those really where time stretches and then compresses and stretches. You know, like that flexibility of time. I do. And um, I remember we're up in the tower, right? So we're it's a three-level high tower, and we're at the top of this infrastructure. And we so you're looking down. It's actually a magnificent view from from up there when you're at super tubes yeah. and you're commentating the event on the beach. And um, I still remember, so we got a computer screen. If you're doing beach commentating, you got a screen that pops up, you know, right next to you on your desk. And then you kind of look out the window at the action as well. So I looked down and I saw the 6.17 or 6.33 of Julian Wilson's first wave. And I then, I looked at the, the, the computer and I looked at the score and then I consciously stared at Mick Fanning and, and spoke the score out. So first of red is 6.33 or whatever it is. And I was staring at him. I'd called the score and I was st- my eyes were dead locked on. I mean, there's a lot of things to look at, right? I was staring into Mick Fanning when this thing happened. And it was like, I knew instantly what was going on. But I, it took me... It actually only took about two seconds, but it felt like Time I expected. waded through like yeah. custard for like 30 seconds before I could respond to get my thought out of my brain into my mouth, you know? And so, uh, yeah, I always remember that uh, moment, like staring at it straight on, you know? It was like, wow. Unbelievable. Yeah, it, it was crazy. Unbelievable. Was crazy. I was in Costa Rica and we went for a morning session, came back to the restaurant and it was still early yep. 9 a.m. or something like that. Yep. And sure enough, pulled up my phone, had a bunch of notifications, and it was like the oh. internet was a fire. People, but Dude. also by the time I got to it, there was all the information yeah. that everybody survived, yeah. no injuries, all that yeah. sort of stuff. So that was delivered in the same shot. Yeah. But I mean, crazy. No, crazy. It's, it's, it's a absolute look. I mean, two other things just to just to talk about with that is, I mean, I just remember that evening that Mick Fanning incident. He had a barbecue that night, and we were all sort of right there, and we all shared it was like a christmas supper kind of thing it was like a celebration of life yeah yeah, yeah. thing and i mean i I, I can't tell you i'm very good friends with mick because i'm not because i don't know him that well but we all it was an incredible like to be part of that 20 or 30 people in that room that night was just a a real a real amazing bonding thing you know i remember that quite clearly and then the other thing was this year when uh, the shark came up the line and we actually had to stop the heat yep and I rem- and so again, I, I, I'm the guy with the microphone in my hand and then I get a message, uh, shut the heat down so you reach over and there's a horn on the desk and you blow it, wah, nah, nah, three horns. And, and being part of this year's shock incident, let's call it, at Supers, it was just the slick machinery. We just knew exactly what to do. We'd all had meetings. We knew exactly, you know, we, it was like being a military operation. Shut the heat down, 
here comes the shark okay everybody have a look the drone's gonna broadcast this picture and then i'm like everybody look at the big screen okay in fact look in the wave face here comes the shark Woof. and then off he went and we we're like, okay everyone well we're getting going again and the beach just erupted you know like so to be part of the mechanics of shutting a heat down letting a shark swim through and then restarting you know it was just I was like, dude, we've come so far in yeah. two years, you know? <laughs> like, amazing stuff. Wow. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, I'll uh, take you out of the hot seat with your employer and just ask you, <laughs> real simple, pick one or the other. John John or Gabriel, who's your favorite? Ooh. Um, I, like the, I like the wholesomeness of the John John story. And I like the sort of the dark demon Gabriel Medina side too, you know? They're perfect for each other. It, 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 this is the, this is the next Kelly Andy thing, right? We all want it to. Of course, well, we are, and, and you know what? It's it's there. It's is it's, it? I think so. It's getting there. Watch Medina this year. He's not gonna. I think he's. I think he's through that starstruckness and all the distractions of becoming a, a wealthy world champion. That's what I think. I'd like to see him get in the ring and actually take the game seriously. I've Again, been, I've been trying to brand him on this show as um, Dirty Gabe. Yeah, because I want him to be the villain. Yeah, I don't know if he's wearing the hat. He, he yet, is though. already. You think so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You nailed it. Okay. Yeah. Now here's the question, though. <laughs> Even if he accepts his role as the villain, yeah, I don't know if John John can be bothered by him. Like John John seems so aloof that it's like Gabriel could be poking him, and John John just shrugs it off and is just like, eh, whatevs. You know, I, I, I don't know. The rivalry between Kelly and Andy was sincere. They hated each other, right? I don't know that John John has hatred. Yeah, that's a good point. But I think that the two roles are well defined, right? And uh, can we now talk about who's going to win the world title this year? That is on my list okay, as well. Yeah, yeah, okay. Who do you got? No, no. I, I, well, I, I think it's going to narrow it down to the, these two. That's the subject, right? And I'm trying to think why John John. You know, what's interesting to me is no one has won back to back world titles since Kelly. Right. Right? So you look at the, the history list, right? It goes Mick Fanning, then it alternates, then it goes Mick Fanning. So, so Mick never won back to backs. Right. Okay. Medina hasn't, uh, D'Souza hasn't. So those are all obvious things. And if John John was going to choke, he was, it would have happened, right? And he didn't. He actually surfed better with the, with the world title mantle on than the year that he won my opinion and so what's stopping John John not matching Andy now with three in a row well I think John John won his first on sheer freakish ability I think he came back year two with a better competitive savvy and strategy certainly with Ross in his corner um, and I think now what will he rely on what is he going to employ this year and I think Gabriel, at the same time, has a f- new fire by losing those last two. Yep. That he's coming back. I mean, I, just on Instagram alone, I've seen him in the gym. He looks hulking. And it's okay. kind of like, I think Gabe's going to come in with well, a that, heat Well, that's that we why I said seen. what I said is I think that, you know, all that starstruckness of, yeah. uh, you know, being the Brazilian superstar. And I mean, winning a world title and then having that much success can have its distractions. And uh, I think that he's grown through that now. So... Well, so speaking of those Watch for an almighty flipping show this year. I know. Right? So do you think it's a two-horse race? <sighs> yeah. Do you? I'm going to go with that. Hmm. Yeah. Look, you're going to have the Julian Wilsons and the Geordie Smiths. My question back to you is, if Julian Wilson was going to win a world title, should he not have done it already? 
and it's the same for Geordie. Julian, I say yes. Jordy, I say he'll be right in it this year with those guys, with John, John, and Gabriel. Um, I got to be honest, Julian has been my most disappointing surfer to follow through his career. Like, I love him so much, and I want so much for him. Yeah. But it's just he doesn't deliver, or he he has blistering performances and then follows it by losing in round three, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and I'm not even sure why, because his fundamentals are so strong exactly style unbelievable incredible in barrels incredible in small waves and just can't he's like the taylor knox it's funny it's funny like there's so there's a group of surfers that you could almost pool into a discussion uh the ones that haven't won the world title Mm -hmm. and you almost can't pinpoint why you know like why has geordie not won a world title yeah, you can ham this thing all day long, but it's so hard to just. There's not. I don't think there's one certain thing. It's so many little, var- multiple little variables, right. which is what makes this thing so hard to win a world title, right? Completely. I mean, you know, I mean, so who is in that discussion? Jordy, Julian. I think Kaloe could Co- make an effort, dude. I, I reckon he's still going to ring the bell. Yeah, I think he's going to. He's going to. Well, when I say ring the bell, not the bells of end. He's going to. He's going to win a world title. I, I got. I just got this feeling yeah. that it's due. Felipe could be in the conversation if he, um, you know, figures out big wave, so, big barrels. Yeah. Okay, so you're saying Felipe hasn't won a world title because big barrels, the big barrels. Okay. Well, every. Everyone back home was saying, well, Jordy hasn't won a world title because it's the big hollow lefts that have let him down every Agreed. time. Agreed. Right? Straight up. Yeah, but cloud break, what did he finish third this year? Semifinals, well, yeah, he I got, think? I think, a Chopu, yeah. Oh, Chopes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and so Jordy is somebody you asked. I think Jordy still can win a world title. I think, again, freakish talent for the first half of his career, and he could, like, survive on that. Yeah. And then he realized, hey, I actually want to yeah. win a world title. Yeah. So he brings on Galley. Dials in the boards, gets, and now I saw it this year where I was like, "Shoot, he's a real contender." Yeah. Fell well, apart at the end, but he could he could definitely be in contention in the next five years. Yeah, yeah. So no one can rely just on freakish talent. That's no, what, that's what we're saying. Well, John John, I feel like, but it took John John f- yeah that's six true. years to that's get true. there, right? Yeah. So yeah. that freakish talent only served him so far. Do you think Jordy will ever win a world title? Oh, I knew you were going to do this one to me. So this, the patronistic South African in me wants to say yes, but there's part of me that's saying, if it hasn't happened now, it may not happen. Yeah. And Jordy's a friend of mine. Yeah. Like, you know, I was actually at his birthday on Saturday night. Yeah. So um, it's a, it's it's a, I knew you were going to ask me this, <laughs> and I, I, you, like you got me right. Um, do I want to see him? Of course. Yeah. No. That's right. Totally. Okay. Um, is it going to happen? Maybe not. We are the internet commenter, comment, commenters <laughs> right now. <laughs> that you, that we, everybody's telling Jordy, well, don't listen. Off, right? Don't okay. listen. Don't look at what they're saying. I know. Yeah. But, yeah. but okay. My argument is he needs to hear that. He needs to hear you say that. Because what I worry about with Jordy, with Chloe, with Julian is they got too much too soon. They've got these beautiful wives, millions of dollars, ev- everything, you know, they don't have the struggle that Adriano had to go through. So how did Adriano win his world title? Through grit. grit, Through grit and determination. He had to fight for it. He wanted it more than anybody. So I think that Jordy now is facing some of that opposition. And this is a great topic because if Adriano D'Souza can win a world title, those guys can too. 
Absolutely. If they apply themselves. So there's... It's down to work and grit. And a portion of it is um, freakish raw talent. Yeah. Grit, determination. Yep. Like, look, through talent alone, everybody only gets, gets so to far. a certain level. Yeah. From that you get to, to be world part of title, the show with all that talent. Yes. From yeah. that to world title yeah. requires those other things. So now Jordy is faced with an opposition in the form of inadequacy, in the form of the internet saying you're not good enough. And I think that actually might give him an opportunity to develop the grit and the drive that maybe he didn't have to go through when mm-hmm. he was 18 years old. Fair you know? point, yeah. But he's got to work through it. That's a, that's a real hard psychological thing to actually yeah. confront. you got to get... You gotta get pissed off. You gotta get real, dude. Uh, you gotta get angry. Yeah. Yeah. Because his ability level. Like, I, is your life gonna be okay if you don't win it? And then the answer is yes or no. Then you like go from there, right? Exactly. Yeah. That, and I think that's what separates champions. Totally. Yeah. And I have an argument for Jordy on his side, which is I think he has an ability level that nobody else possesses, due to his size, like the turns that Jordy can do. Kanoa Igarashi cannot do. Period. Sure. Just period. Sure. And yet Jordy John, can roll his sleeves up and hustle out two foot trestles against Toledo and against Igarashi, right? Exactly. Yeah. So Jordy has this special thing in his playbook yep. that nobody else has. Yep. And um, when he's doing it, obviously he gets huge scores. He just needs to be able to do it in all, you know, yep. big barreling lefts as well. Yeah. Basically, yep. is what it is. Exactly. So, um, all right, I asked you, John, John, or Gabriel, you didn't answer. Uh, no, I went with John John. You go in John John. Yeah. Okay. Officially. Yeah. It's yeah. on the record. Three in a row. I'm going for that. Okay. Yeah. Curran or Aki? Oh, I love that one. <laughs> so I remember being the surf shop kid watching the, the Bells the Bells footage, you know, of the Aki versus Curran, that whole thing. It was just it was so definitive of the time, you know? It's amazing. I love that stuff. Mid eighties. Yeah. Eighty five, eighty six. Um Man, Aki or Curran? You can't I'm pick gonna, a stance because you're in no, the middle. No, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm in California, right? So I've got to pick Curran. But no, I, li- I like the rawness of Aki. Do you? Yeah, I love that. Listen, three world titles versus one. But there was just something There was just something about Aki that was just, oh, it was just special. All right. Yeah. All right. Aki it is. Wave pools, yes or no? Knew you were going to ask me this one. Um, I'm saying yes because we're trying to take this thing to a wider audience. And I know that's... I, I actually I actually listened to your podcast, you and Scott, going through all of that stuff. And then I think Jamie Brissick was on mm-hmm. it and Matt Walshaw and yep. stuff. And I loved all that breakdown of, uh, you know, it's a little bit too much like an ice rink scenario and you're not feeling the bigger picture of the ocean and all those things. I loved all of those points. It was great discussion. But I think that wave pools will further surfing awareness to mainstream which is what we're all trying to do to make this thing economically viable or as a whatever whatever we're trying to do so i'm going i'll thumbs up on the wave pool okay yeah i'm for it too yeah i'm a fan wave pools in competition yes or no well why not um i'm easily saying yes oh really i'm trying to think of reasons that you'd say no uh the final at the Pipe Masters this year is a reason I would say no. Like that excitement of Jeremy getting a final wave with 16 seconds left, not knowing whether right. the ocean would deliver, right. the spontaneity yeah. is the reason I would say no. 
but then the whole thing about it is the level playing field it's the half pipe of our sport okay and how was Sean White last night by the way how was that you watched that yeah yeah so you're going to have those Sean White moments now in surfing where it's all about the performance and Toledo's going to do that thing in the final and it's going to be as big a moment or not <laughs> Remains to be seen. Are you asking the questions, we'll see in right? September. <laughs> You're I asking mean, the questions. I mean, look, the easy way out of this one is like yes to both things. Yeah. I'm not saying yes to the wave pool and yeah. no to the pipe masters. Yeah. I'm saying give me both. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, no, I mean honestly, I think you're you're absolutely right. The wave pool presents an opportunity to really kind of refine the judging criteria, yep. make it more objective, yep. to be able to say like, look. It's going to help people understand the difference between a 9.4 and a 9.7. I think it'll help the judges define the difference yeah, as well, not just the viewers. I think good the judges point. can say, look, we could literally have a ruler in the pool, yeah. maybe maybe along the fence, yeah. and when somebody and does an air, it, and we see freeze frame it. Yeah. We're like, hey, Felipe did an air that was three inches higher than Idolo's. Yeah. Yeah. Felipe gets a bonus point. Yeah. Surfed a barrel for 10.1 seconds rather than 10.2 seconds. Now we're getting creative. But that's what we need. So yeah. if we can refine the judging to that yeah. level of ob- like objectivity, it. we can then apply that objectivity in the ocean. Yep. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that there's a lot of yeah, room for that. it washes back. Yeah. But it makes it, it does make it less, um, the spontaneity element, less exciting. But again, give yeah. me both. Yeah. We'll do both. No, exactly. You know? Um, at the Olympics in 2020, will the surf competition be held in a KS wave pool? Oh, that I've no no insight or feedback about. Um, I've got no idea. I'm just excited that surfing will be featured as an Olympic sport. I think you know, kind of. I've just been all giddy and dizzy on that success. I've got no idea. But yeah, imagine. Listen, I think it's a win if it does. Yeah. If it is in the in a KS wave pool. Yeah. Dude, it's going to have a huge impact for the sport. So yes, let's go with KS wave pool, please, not Chiba Beach. Uh, yeah, uh, unless Chiba was pumping. That's well, the only scenario where exactly. that would be yeah. preferred. Yeah, It's an unlikely scenario. Um, the rumor mill is saying that they've already broken ground for a okay. pool there, but okay. I can't verify it. Brilliant. Um, will Kelly Slater ever win a 12th world title? I'm going to say no, but I'm going <laughs> to say that Kelly is still going to win another CT event. Okay. Yeah, I think that's feasible comment which event and when (laughs) (laughs) pull out the crystal ball yeah i know right um pumping j bay in the next three years doable uh chopu doable pipe still doable uh i think kelly's you know at those locations yeah like you know it's like you get the big animals right in Africa the big five or whatever you know like the big five breaks on this championship tour Kelly's in with a shot at them I'm telling you if it's if it's pumping mm-hmm. yeah I agree and I would take it a step further and say that when the waves are pumping at those locations and I would throw um, cloud break into the mix as yeah, well even absolutely. though there's even not an event there yeah, yeah. Um, when the waves are p- absolutely pumping at those locations there's actually nobody that can touch Kelly. Absolutely, I agree. Maybe at Kelly can win a CT at Chopu at age 50. I agree. Yeah. And and when you saw him win it, I guess it was two years ago, maybe. Yep. When he won at Chopes, he shifts into a level 
that nobody else has. Even Gabriel and John John. No, he just he has so much intimacy and knowledge yeah. and all that experience. It's just it's a special thing, you know? We don't see him shift into that gear though unless the waves are pumping. That's the thing. It's like I don't think he's motivated unless the waves are pumping like that. Yeah. Know? Listen, I mean Kelly is an inspiration. I mean we can talk about this all day, right? But I think he's stuck inside his forty six year old body and I think if there was a if there was a disadvantage to being in his own body, it was traveling from forty to 45 like to me now for the next two or three years physically kelly cannot go backwards that's what i think yeah um just my loose yeah. comment no i mean it's kind of physiological i think a 56, a 56 year old kelly is gonna have a couple of challenges but i think at 46 now i think it's like as long as he's looks after the machine mm-hmm. he's gonna I've said it I put myself on record a couple of years ago I said Kelly can win an event at 50 yeah yeah, that'd be amazing could you imagine that story it'd be so rad I hope he hears this <laughs> keep drinking the perps Kelly exactly. chia seeds yeah um, will Kelly retire at the end of 2018 well then he'll disprove our winning an event at 50 <laughs> no, right no because he can come back <laughs> as a wild speciality card. a wild yeah. card okay yeah. um, I don't know I don't know enough about Kelly's personal life uh, maybe it makes sense to step out at the end of this one uh, I don't know what all the other parts of his life are, are like you know well I know there's that, I know that it's involved in surfboard right, brands and clothing dude, brands you know what it's so I think it's when something is your life it's really hard to step away from it yeah. I mean, we watch people retire and then come back, right? I mean, it's like... Him specifically, actually. The art of retiring is not an easy thing. To get to step away is not an easy thing. Because it's it's what you know. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm digesting it, as I said. I don't... I, yeah. No. I mean, he tried to retire at one point, and he came back, you know? Sure. So. Oh, inside thing. Geordie's on JS's now. No, he's off the he's off the Merricks. Really? Yeah. Officially. I, I, he told me at his birthday like three days ago. Did he tell you that was privileged information or I'm not sure. It just he kind of like just threw it out there. I don't wow. think it was you know. Uh, but when he did when he got a runner up at Snapper, he was on a JS. I did not know that. Yeah. Do you have a favorite among the rookie class this year? Oh, that's an interesting one. Um I liked the last year's rookie class. That was good, eh? I mean, how? I mean, the Portuguese guy and everything was just amazing stuff. You it's know? always shocking to me who doesn't do well in the rookie class. Like I put all my money on Ethan Ewing. Yeah. And then he just falls uh. apart. But he's an unbelievable surfer. Yeah. So this year we've got um, Griffin Colapinto. Yeah. I was going to mention him. He kind of looks like Ethan Ewing in, in terms of going into the season, where yeah. he looks unstoppable. And now you're kind of nervous to back that horse yeah. because, right? I'm backing Wade Carmichael. Okay, nice blunt. Just the work. Good old Aussie workhorse. The, the workhorse. Yeah, and then you've like got the, the, the Brazilian workhorse. Uh, uh, Tom, Tomas Hermes. The other one. Oh, the William big, Cardoso. Cardoso. Yeah. Anyway, it's going to be interesting. Like I say, it's, uh, it's, every year is interesting, man. That's what makes us so good. Yeah. You mentioned um, John John for the world title this year. Who's your pick on the women's side? 2018 world title. I'd love to see Courtney Conlog do it. I would too. I, I just, I, 
keep thinking, you know, it's again, we, 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 we hashed on about what are the reasons why the Geordies and Julians, what is the reason why Courtney has not won a world title? I, I can't put my finger on it. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see her come through. Um, I don't think Steph's got another one in her. I, I just, she ma- it makes no sense why she's been making the errors she does when she has these brilliant moments and she's got all that world title heritage already you know if you've and won a 9-5 in the heat right and she'll still yeah not be able to yeah. back it up Carissa Moore thinks good for another one I think I do uh, Tyler Wright will definitely get another world title in her career but I mean I'd, I'd like to see Courtney just you know reach that that point using that uh, analogy of Adriano having grit and using that to win the world title I think that is Courtney's strength like Courtney has yep. a grit and like a brute kind of like a brutality and like a never say die attitude that should allow her to win it but there's always just been somebody that edges her out yeah yeah like i say it's almost a little intangible there it is totally yeah which makes i like i like what you say that's good that's what makes it fun though you're a good commentator dave thank you (laughs) (laughs) i'm best when i can uh (laughs) use the editing button after we're done recording um so a couple of questions in closing what surf media do you currently follow um, I I kind of scroll through like when it gets closer to contest season and I know maybe I'll get a little shout from the WSL for an event I, I kind of in the off season I hardly look at stuff do you really? yeah I'd, like I find December and Jan other than like look I, the WSL on the app I'll, I'll always go to that sort of every second day and read through whatever articles are being coming through that channel um, I like um I like Sean Doherty's writing. I do too. I think he's... I love how what he pens together. Um, I obviously visit the Beach Grits and all the other, and uh, Stab and all of that. You know, I flick through a little list of things and kind of just try and take it all in. Do you subscribe to any magazines? I'm guilty I don't. It's like, what happened to the publication world? Well, that's the question for you. What, ah. Why don't you subscribe? Yeah, I, I don't know. I just feel I'm getting enough online. Yeah. And yet I, lo- I grew up in, pu- my dad was a publisher. Like mm-hmm. I love magazines. I love that you can pick it up at any time off the coffee table. And just, there's, some, there's just something special about a magazine, but I'm not subscribing at the moment. Weird, eh? Guilty. It is what it is. I mean, right. <laughs> I ask that question to ev- most people I interview, yeah. and I can't remember somebody who said, yes, they subscribe. Yeah. I think there's been a number of people who said they subscribe to the Surfer's Journal. Yes. Because that is a little more, I don't know, substantial or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's literature in there, right? That, well, and that's what, that. that's what yeah. these podcasts have become in a way, right? Because, I mean, you as a surf media consumer, you, you're getting so much visual stuff. I mean, between Instagram and all the websites and everything else, and even the little reads that you get, uh, you're only reading a page or two of stuff. Like... It's almost like there's so much visual stuff out there. Yeah. And it's almost like these are the the 12-page stories now, the podcasts. It's weird, eh? It's like, yeah. Yeah. It's like the, like the surf magazine of the 80s is now tons of visual stuff coming at you through electronic media all the time. And then maybe you're getting all the nitty-gritty stories, the surf stories out of the podcast platform. I don't know. It's funny that you say that. I've consciously made an effort to design my podcast shows 
exactly after the traditional print media model right. where it's like I want sense. a I want a news show where we cover the contest recaps. That's what I do with Scott. Yeah. yeah. Then I want a long form interview show. Yeah. Yeah. Then I want to do surfboard design, I'll interview shapers. Then I want a gossip column. That's yep. what I do with Chaz, you know? Yep. Yep. It's just and not because I'm literally just follow I don't want to create a wheel. Here's the wheel's already been created, you right. know? Makes like sense. this is yeah. what the people want. Yeah. Um you mentioned Beach Grit and Stab as part of your regular routine of things to check. Why those? What do those provide for you that um, make them valuable? I think because they're Southern California based. Okay. Yeah. Like I think you guys here have got your own energy and stuff. You know, certainly we don't have nearly as much news down in South Africa to, to generate every day. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're only 25,000 people surfing down there. So, uh, and hasn't hasn't Southern California always kind of led everything? I would like to think so. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's just that it's it's. I would say yes. Okay. Yeah. Industry. Uh, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, the Aussies will be in an uproar and that, but well, that's why I'm apprehensive to say it because it. I view it that way, but it's only because I'm kind of. No, it uh, is. I think focusing the, on my own little world. You know, yeah, maybe. Yeah. No, I think that doesn't matter where you are okay. in, in the in the, on the planet. Yeah, Southern California is where stuff happens. For the surf industry. For sure, right? Um, what are your favorite Instagram accounts to follow? <laughs> I'm not much of an Instagrammer. Oh, okay. Um, again, I'll kind of... Some days I'll even forget to look. Um, I don't know. I normally want to hear what Kelly says. Uh, one or two others. But, I mean, I'm not... I'm not... I don't buy into the gospel of instagram you know to me there's actually too much posting going on i'm glad you to hear you say that it's to me it's too much to digest yeah so what's the what's the right amount of posts to post in a month i don't know i don't profess to know these things at all it's different for everybody like you mentioned kelly i feel like i know kelly more intimately now than i ever did through magazines or videos growing up and i'd be happy if he posted every single day like, let me know yeah. what's going on in your life, Kelly. I'm curious, yeah, you know? Yeah. No, but it, but then what's the right amount for me? I don't know, once a month? That's plenty for me personally. I, I think I'm barely once a month yeah. as well. I'm totally guilty. Yeah, and it, like what what I want to see in Kelly's life, I personally don't want to share in my own life. Yeah. Like I want him to post what's going on personally right. for him. Right. I'm not sharing that with anybody. So is, so is Instagram like uh, what are those like those Hollywood tabloids yeah, eh, right that stand by the news agency counter you know it's like it's we all want to know what's going on in the stars lives right yeah and just don't ask what's going on in mine <laughs> <laughs> you know um, who's your favorite surfer to watch currently like if you are scrolling Instagram or a video pops up online what's the one that you'll stop to watch wow I, I mean automatically if it's any of the profile surfers you know anyone that's in the the top you know anyone that's on the championship tour you kind of like hey let me have a look and see um i love what j-o-b does like anything that that jamie o'brien posts i just love i love that alternative sort of take that he's got on everything uh yeah i don't know he's my favorite surfer to watch yeah wow Current in 92 at J-Bay. There you go. I was there, by the way. Were you I was really? on the beach, man, yeah. Look, if you grow up in South Africa, it's like, you go to J-Bay all the time, you know? Dude, we surfed J-Bay in the 80s, 
then six to eight foot supers with like four people out for days and days on end. I mean, I remember being at university and hitching down in like 84, 85, around that time. I mean, there was the little local beach surf classic, the country feeling classic. But J-Bay was so off the the radar you know I mean there was all that apartheid going on there were sanctions against the country and everything else I mean I can remember a decade of surfing supers with not a lot of people out and then think about the people in the 70s yeah you know so, so when so 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 that yeah it was June 92 okay yeah yeah when I he mean, showed I, up did you know who he was uh not at first but then by the time I was he was halfway down I was I was uh I was sponsored by Rip Curl at the time, and I recognized that type of wetsuit that he had. And I was like, so straight away, I was like, and then those lines, and I was like, dude, that could be current. And it's like, by the time he'd kicked out of that wave, we were like standing on the beach. Like, I remember it clear as day. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah. Dude, you've been there for some iconic moments. That, the shark attack. I know, like, right? It's yeah. gnarly. Yeah. Look, I mean, where I live, I'm totally spoiled. I can drive to J Bay in five hours. And I can drive to the airport and I can fly two hours and I can get to Skeleton Bay. It's like, wow. yeah, I live between the best left and the best right in the world. Yeah. yeah. Unreal. Yeah. If you could order one board from anybody in the world, what would you order and from whom? <laughs> I don't think that's a subject that I'll discuss here because I ride knee boards, right? <laughs> we want to know. People right. are dying to... Oh, this dude. is where we kind of share with the world right, the joys okay. of knee boarding. Oh, well, so, um, so for me... I'm very involved in my own board design, so it's I'm ordering the board from myself. Yeah, I know. I kind of work. With, I mean, it's the day of computers, right? So we know what our last board went like. Does it go a little bit different? You know, all those little subtle tweaks and that. So I write a five ten by twenty two and three quarters by two and five eighths, single to double concave, sharp edge in the back rail. Dude, it's like, yeah, that's what I order. Who, <laughs> who shapes them? Um, it comes out of uh, my mate Jason Ribbing's factory. He's got a house brand called Built, B-I-L-T. It was actually originally part of Spider Built, which was Dennis Jarvis here in the South Bay somewhere. Yep. And they kind of did a, a setup with the factory in Durban. And then the licensee agreement changed. And then so they just chopped the spider off and they just called them Bilts. Okay. Anyway, so um, <clears throat> there's a guy called Elton Fursman, very good uh, house shaper there. So, uh, shapes a lot of boards for everybody in the town. So that's what I would order. So poly polyurethane, yeah, poly polyester resin, yeah, twin fin, yeah, uh, no thruster. Oh, thruster. Yeah, okay. double sort of double flyer round ta- tail thruster, uh, average sort of toe and splay uh, on the fins. Nothing too hectic. Okay. Yeah, very simple stuff. Interesting. Um, and that actually leads right into the final question, which is just what was the last surf? What was the last board that you rode? Oh, so exactly that, right? Yeah. I had a surf just down the road here this morning. Did you? Yeah. When it you when you <laughs> sent me that note, um, I wasn't exactly sure where you were surfing. You mentioned it was in El Segundo, but I wasn't sure where. Right. Is it small? Uh, yeah. Close I, I, I didn't know if you wanted to mention any surf spots on you, so that's why. I'll, I'll bleep that part. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um, was, was it closed out or just... Yeah, soft. Yeah. Soft. I'm so spoiled. As a surfer... I am. I can tell you, anyone that lives, especially the Cape Town area, we have got swell after swell after swell. If it's not a west swell, it's a southwest swell. If it's not a southwest swell, it's a south swell, and it's just they just don't stop. Yeah. It's like there's a swell every two to three days. There's a new one coming. It's just crazy. How's the forecast for this weekend for your event 
in Huntington? Uh, I don't know. Two, two, to, two to three feet. Nah, I didn't even check. Even on its best day, it's not what you get at home. No, we are. I tell you what, living in South Africa, it, look, South Africa to me is the most underused surf destination in the world. And I'm not. This is not like South African tourism sponsoring me. Right? Yeah. This is me just telling it how it is. Is I cannot find people to go surf with. I can't find people. There's just so many waves. It's so, just so many waves. It's it's unbelievable, and it's daily. You can get barreled every single day, living where I live. Unbelievable. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, dude. What an honor, man. I'm so so stoked. Thank you so so much for having me, dude. You're welcome. Thank you, dude. And you claim. You got something going Something you call unique But I've seen yourself pretty showing As the tears roll down your cheeks Fun. Thanks so much, Giggs. Wonderful to finally connect with you in person, and um, thanks for the cup of coffee. I don't think I mentioned that to you in person. Uh, all right, and thanks, listeners. Everybody um, everybody who's been supporting the show, like I said earlier, the show's listener-supported. Um, having sponsors definitely has helped, but we're still working our way to zero here. And, of course, in that effort, Fanatic.com. Use the promo code PODCAST so that they could track it back to us. And I think that's pretty much it. Everything that we discussed in the show is on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Leave a comment in the comment section for gigs. I'll make sure that he sees it. And then, of course, share the show with friends and on social media. Share it at Surf Splendor. All right. Until next week, I hope that you get screened at the dermatologist and that you get back into the ocean, share some waves, and shred them. That you didn't whisper to him too.